0: Watchman Nee, the great Christian author, leader, church planner who spent 20 years in prison in the communist China, wrote If I keep something, it is because God has spoken to my heart. If I part with it, it is for the same reason. I hold myself in the will of God and I'm not afraid to give if God asks me to give. I keep nothing because I love it, but let it go without regret when the call comes to leave it behind. That is what it means to be detached, to be free, to be separated for God. And as those who have been called by God to be a, a new creation in Christ Jesus, the Lord has called us all to be detached, to be free, to be separated to him. As I read that quote this week, I thought about Jonah and how Jonah as a prophet, how he was called to be separated, to be free, to be, to be detached, to, to be set apart for the Lord. And I'm sure that Jonah would have prayed and probably even said the same type of things as a prophet at Watchman Nee said. Just as I have at times have said those things and prayed those things, the things we want to remember as ambassadors of Christ is that God is working that in all of us. God is constantly separating us from the world, constantly separating us from the things that would draw us away from him to make us more like him so that we can be faithful ambassadors to a world that does not know him. That process is hard. It's progressive. It doesn't happen overnight. On well, the book of Jonah, we see a prophet who has a word from the Lord to go to a place that is broken and lost. And rather than go to that place, he runs into the opposite direction. And We see that God tailor makes a storm for Jonah, has a sea creature swallow him up. In order to to discipline him, in order to break him, in order to to get him to a place where he is detached, free and separated to God. And then in, in chapter two, we see Jonah in the belly of this fish crying out from the depths, repenting to the Lord for running from him. And then in chapter three, we see that that God is going to use Jonah to spark a revival, though he relent preaches while Uh, relenting. Then in chapter four, we're going to see Jonah back in his stupor, back into this place where he is not free. And where he is angry with God. And this is kind of the Christian life for us all. But if we're going to be faithful ambassadors, it's because we realize that God uses weak, finite vessels who struggle with sin to be ambassadors of his mercy to the world that he is at work in. And I want to talk this morning about us as weak, finite vessels who struggle with sin, but who God uses to preach his mercy to the world that he's at work in. And I want to show us three significant features that would help us to be faithful ambassadors to the world. So if you stand for the reading of God's word, we're going to go to Jonah chapter three. Hear the word of the Lord. then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to that great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. And Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So like Jonah, the Lord has called us to be ambassadors to a dying world, a world that is desperately in need of the love and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if we're going to be faithful ambassadors, if we are going to Uh, Be faithful ambassadors, we must realize that we've been set apart to set apart. And there's three significant features that will help us to be faithful ambassadors. And the first is that we must get our butt out of the way. Faithful ambassadors are those who are constantly getting their butt out of the way. Now, this is an important time in the service where you want to either look at the screen or look at your bulletin to see how I spell butt, all right? It's B-U-T, but the pun is intended. Uh, In Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, we read, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because his wickedness has come up before me, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish chapter three, verse one. The Lord gives Jonah another chance. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Praise God for second times and another chance. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Verse three, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. And if if Jonah had just done that from the beginning, this story would read a lot different. However, Jonah did not do that from the beginning. There was a but that separated that, that, that's, that's different. Verses one through three in chapter one and verses three, chapter three, verses one through three read just about the same except for the word. But Jonah did not go to Nineveh because John, there were some things in Jonah's heart that hindered him from doing the will of God as a prophet, as an ambassador. And if we're going to be faithful ambassadors of Jesus Christ, we must constantly be aware of and grow in areas that we want to make excuses for not being obedient to God. Jonah had a but and we all have butts. Jonah's butt was that he put his sociology in front of his theology. God told this Jewish prophet to go to Nineveh, essentially uh, Mosul and and, and, and modern Iraq, to go and to preach this message to these Ninevites. The Ninevites were a a pagan people, a great city that was far from Yahweh, known for their idolatry, known for their brutality, known for their hatred of, of Jews, But Jonah allowed his ethnocentric mindset. He allowed his prejudiceness. He allowed his self-righteousness to stand in the way of him preaching a message of reconciliation to the Ninevites. Jonah had a but. But God, if you, if I go and preach to these people, I know that you are a compassionate God. I know that you are a grace-filled God and these horrible, horrible people will turn to you and I don't want that to happen. The sociology got in front of his theology and like Jonah, we all allow things to get in front of what we believe about God. God, Jonah's theology, he knew the right things he knew that God was compassionate but he had a a but an excuse that kept him from being and doing what God called him to do and as Christians and we have a lot of butts and some of our butts are bigger than other butts B-U-T. but we have them don't we the Lord is calling us this morning calling you to to be evangelistic to reach out to to people at your job but God is telling us to be rooted in this community to to reach out to Shelby Park but God is calling us to to love our enemies to bless those who curse us but God is calling you to love and to cherish your 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 spouse but God is calling us to raise our children in a fear and admonition of the Lord, but. God is calling you to reach out to your lost co-worker, but. Like Jonah, we want to run from the hard things that God has called us to do. We want to come in on Sunday morning and lift up holy hands to great music. We want to have a a cup of coffee and sit in comfortable pews and hear cute sermons and leave in our comfortable cars and go in our comfortable homes and, and be comfortable. But God has not called us as his ambassadors, as his children, to a life of comfort. The the call to follow Christ is a life of self-denial. The call to follow Christ is a life in which we pick up our crosses. But here's the truth. You and me, we cannot get our butt eyes out of the way. We're not strong enough. We're not wise enough. And what helps us to get our butt eye out of the way is not us in our own strength and ingenuity and intellect. It is the grace of God. See, grace is a a double-sided coin. We sing about amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a wreck like me. I once was lost and and now I'm found. was blind, but now I see. It's one side of the coin. But grace is also, as Pastor Nate said, gritty. Grace isn't just amazing, it's awful. It isn't just neat and khaki, it's, it's camo, it's, it's war. Grace is God taking you. And putting you in the belly of a sea creature, metaphorically speaking, to break you and make you and and mold you, to get you to a point where you are detached and free from the world. And grace doesn't feel like grace sometimes. That's what God did. God loved Jonah too much to allow him to be ethnocentric. God loved Jonah too much to allow him to be and live in self pity. God loved Jonah, his prophet, too much to allow him to be self righteous. And here's the thing as I read Jonah 1 through 3 over and over this week, the Lord reminded me that I am more like Jonah than I'm not. And if you're honest with yourself, you're more like Jonah than you are not. And that's why we need to see God's grace and, and God's love for us. That's why we, we need to see this text and to be reminded that, that God allows us to be to be disciplined. He allows us to be to be broken for his name's sake and for his glory's sake. And there is a difference between punishment and discipline. Jonah being thrown into The belly of this great sea creature was not punishment. It was God's discipline. Sociologists talk about the difference between parenting that punishes and parenting that disciplines. And so does the Bible. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4 says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one that he loves and he chestens everyone who who he accepts as his son. What's the difference between punishment and discipline? We've got a slide to show the difference. Punishment is done to inflict penalty for an offense. It's done to punish past misdeeds. It's done out of hostility and frustration on the part of a parent. It's done in a way that results in fear and guilt. Discipline is to train for correction and maturity. Discipline, it focuses on future correct acts. It's done out of love and concern on the part of the parent. And at the end of the day, the dominating emotion that the parent is, is giving that child is security. God putting Jonah in the belly of this fish was to help Jonah to see his but eye and to remove his but eye. And he disciplined Jonah because he loved Jonah. And some of us, we may feel like and we may be going through a season of discipline. And it may be a result of our but eye, and it may not be a result of our but eye. But as believers, when we're in that season, we do want to slow down and ask the Lord, Lord, what are you teaching me? What are you breaking in me? How are you molding me? How are you making me? Why is this storm here while remembering that he loves you? That he cares for you. And that this is strengthening you and maturing you and, and preparing you for the future as his ambassador. Second thing as ambassadors that we want to remember is not only must we get our, our butt out of the way, but, but secondly... We must believe that salvation belongs to the Lord. That's what we see in this text. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah ends up being spit out, verse 10 says, uh, of chapter 2, that the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah into the ground. And then we read that that, that he's vomited and Jonah ends up going to Nineveh to preach this message. And listen to what 3 says. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. And Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. So if we're going to be faithful ambassadors of Jesus Christ, we must remember that salvation is God's work, not primarily our work that we cannot change the human heart. Jonah goes to Nineveh, and in my imagination, he goes to Nineveh and he preaches a sermon probably the most unlike enthusiastic sermon of all time. I mean, in a text, the Hebrew is just five words. Now, the author of Jonah is very detailed about conversations that's being had up until this point. Chapter one, we have a long conversation between sailors and Jonah. Chapter two, we have a, a long prayer from Jonah to God. Chapter four, we have a long dialogue between God and Jonah. Chapter two, the only thing we hear from Jonah is a five-word sermon. God is about to destroy y'all. Straighten up. Forty days. God's coming. Oh, he's going to whoop y'all. And the Lord used this sermon to start a revival in a great pagan evil place like Nineveh. For some of us, we have a hard time believing that salvation belongs to the Lord, don't we? But the scripture testifies over and over that it belongs to him. 1 Corinthians twelve three: no man can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that enables a person to cry out, Jesus, Lord. John 1:13, to as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but God. He gave the right to become children of God. He allowed them to be born by the will of God. John 6, 37 and 44. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. All that the father gives to me will come to me. God is the one who is drawing and shaping and making and molding. Salvation and the weight of salvation rests on his shoulders and not ours. And that's deep. That's something that we have to think about and and wrestle with for sure. We have to remember this. J.D. Gere writes, you see, at the end of the day, we're not dealing with skeptics who need to be persuaded. Bad people that need to be convinced to become good people. We are dealing with dead people who need to be raised to life. And that's something only the power of God to do. And this should do two things in our heart, in our life. The first, it should it should humble us and to remind us that any good thing that comes out of our ministry is a result of God, not of us. That God is the one who saves sinners, not our intellect or our eloquence or our evangelistic methods. It is God who does it. So when we see fruit in our lives, may we not be puffed up with pride. But the second thing that, that this should remind us is to not to be easily discouraged when people reject the gospel. If someone coming to faith is not, at the end of the day, it doesn't rest upon us. Now, the Bible tells us to go and to preach. How shall they believe if they have not heard and how shall they hear if they have not been sent? Right? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, we must go. But if people reject this good news that we bring as ambassadors, the weight of it does not rest upon us, and it should not lead us to despair, but rather it should lead us to cry out in desperation to God God, save this person, draw them, bring them to yourself. And sojourn, I'm praying that the Lord would infuse that desperation in us. I'm praying that even in the season and the life of our church, that we would not be apathetic or discouraged, but that we would know that a sovereign God still calls us to go in the midst of our butt eyes and that he wants to work through us. Are you desperate to see people come to the Lord? Do you realize that salvation belongs to the Lord? If God was to come to you this afternoon and say, listen, Everyone that you prayed for last week, this week, is going to receive salvation. Every prayer that you prayed for a lost person, they're going to come to faith this week. Every prayer that you prayed last week, how many people will come to faith? How many people this week would repent like the Ninevites and trust Jesus? It's possible for us to evangelize and to witness Depending upon ourselves rather than on the power of God. Went to Kingston, Jamaica on a mission trip. And while we were there, we went to a juvenile home. It was a really bad juvenile home. We just drove, it was kind of like right outside of the city. In fact, the kids there had been so uh delinquent and 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 so violent that they couldn't wear shoes, they couldn't wear belts. We went on top of this mountain, and the director was into voodoo and satanic worship. I had never felt the presence of evil like then. It was thick. And she said, you guys can come in, and you can play soccer with the kids, and you can can serve them, but do not talk to them about God or religion. And we said, yes, ma'am. For hours, we played soccer with them and played with them. And and, and, and some of us uh, tried to be very intentional just to get to know her and not to kind of Jesus juke her, but just to get to know her and hear her story. And by the end of the day, she came to us and said, listen, thank y'all so much for the way y'all poured into these kids. And, and thank you for spending time with me. You can share with them whatever you want. And the guy who led the team said, Jamal, would you preach to him? I preached Jeremiah 29, 11. And the Holy Spirit fell in a way that I have never experienced. There was about 70 boys there. By the end of the time, most of them was crying and in tears on their face, asking for God to save them. We broke out in small groups and we prayed for these boys that they will receive salvation. And afterwards, she gave an invitation for this organization to keep doing work with them. It was beautiful. But you know, I went to the bus, and I was bawling my eyes out, thanking God for for using us in that way. But each day that went by, the story of what happened on that mountain changed a little bit. It started out, God used us, and God broke this woman's heart, and God broke these kids' heart, and and I was so broken to see them, and I just preached a a feeble message, but God used it to save, where a month later, it was, man, I went on that mountain, and I killed that sermon. (laughs) I mean, you should have seen it. It was so unbelievable. Like God has called me to preach. The next year, we went back to Kingston, same opportunity, and it's as if the Lord taped my tongue to the roof of my mouth. I couldn't get a coherent sentence out. And I went back on the bus afterwards, and it was quiet. Nobody crying. Nobody praising God. That was a great sermon. And preachers know we know when we preach a bad sermon. You get what I call a pity pat on the back, right? Like, oh, God bless your heart. (laughs) Thank you for your faithfulness. I'll see you next week. (laughs) And it was stiff. The Lord showed me. You believe salvation rested on you. You believe that you did that, what happened on that mountain. You didn't go desperate. As ambassadors, may we remember as we share the gospel with our friends, with our neighbors, with folks with who don't know Jesus, may we remember as we approach the Lord daily that we are in desperate need of him and that no fruit happens without him. And God has to constantly remind us of this and he prunes us as this great gardener. And he breaks us and he, he makes us and he, he puts us in tailor-made storms in order to lead us to a place of desperation where we realize that all of life Come from him that no good thing comes from us it causes us to pray differently to get on our face and to beg Him, lord have mercy upon shelby park have mercy upon the highlands have mercy upon saint matthews this city needs you jesus You don't have to have a doctorate in ministry. You don't, you don't have to be seminary trained. You just have to know that God is the one who saves and you go and you tell the story of his love and his grace that's amazing and awful, that's good and gritty, that's khaki and camouflage. Third, Finally, as ambassadors, we must know the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow, between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Growing up, there was, a, there was a, a rap group that I loved and that my father hated called Bone Thugs and Harmony. All right, I memorized every song and I snuck and I listened And as a PK, my father's like, you don't need to listen to them. I'm like, Dad, but they're a Christian group. He said, how are they a Christian group? They're glorifying gang violence and and the worst things that happen in the hood. I said, well, listen to this song. And I rapped it for him. Boom, 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 (laughs) boom, boom, boom. But tell me what you going to do when ain't nowhere to run. I'm like, they're talking about running from God's judgment. This is a Christian song. (laughs) I see you at the crossroads. You won't be lonely. My father printed out them lyrics and said, boy, this is glorifying death in the hood by violence. When a person is gripped by grace, they are broken. They are sorrowful over their sin. They they see that their sin has separated them from a holy and righteous God. They find themselves in a desperate place. See, worldly sorrow is a sorrow that is based upon the consequences and godly sorrow is a sorrow that is because of our life before God. Worldly sorrow is a sorrow that is rooted in the fact that someone may find out and that someone now looks at us differently. Godly sorrow is rooted in the fact that we know that a holy and good God who loves us has seen it and we've sinned against him. Early sorrow turns because they believe in turning that there will be some some prosperity that will will keep us going and that God is like a genie. If we just rub him the right way, everything will be okay. Godly sorrow is rooted in the fact that we know that God has already shown his goodness to us through Christ Jesus. That if earthly prosperity does not come, that God is enough. See, as Christians, I, I just think that we are too too easily, and some of us in here, too easily to, to wave the banner of being a new creation in Christ. But we, we don't experience seasons of, of, of brokenness like, like we see the Ninevites experiencing. We don't weep and, and wail before the Lord, cry out for His mercy. That's what the king of Nineveh did here. Verse six, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh by the decree of the king and his peoples. Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on the Lord. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Do you see the king of Nineveh? He's so broken over the sins of Nineveh that not only does he fast and wear sackcloth, which is morning clothes, and command people to take off your jewelry, take off your makeup, take off your best clothes and put on your worst clothes in order to show the severity of our, our, the situation in our hearts, that we understand that we have sinned against Yahweh. And he's so serious and his, 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 his godly sorrow is so strong that he says not even the, the animals should eat. And what does a, a hungry cow do? What does a hungry cow say? Moo. The cows were mourning. They were probably losing money. People who came and visited Nineveh in that, time, in that time probably thought, what in the world is going on? This king was willing to lose whatever hoping and believing that God would relent. There's someone here today, you are not in right standing with God, and I want you to see the God of Jonah 3 and the God of the Bible. The Bible tells us that when we repent, God relents from his wrath. When we repent, no matter what we have done, No matter how evil we have been, Nineveh was probably one of the most evil cities and and places on the face of the earth for all time. And yet, when they heard the message preached, the warning proclaimed, they repented and God relented. Did God change his mind? Does God change his mind? God changes his mind when the circumstances change relented when they repented. And the Bible says that we all were born sinners and and that we all deserve God's wrath because of our sin. It separates us from God. We do not have reconciliation with them. But the Bible tells us if we turn from a life committed to pleasing ourselves And place our faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us that God relents and his wrath is no longer on us. But his wrath is poured out on his son and was poured out on his son over two thousand years ago on a hill called Calvary. I love verse nine. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And I would say. Oh, King, you're so close. It's not that God may relent. God does relent. And if you don't know Jesus Christ today, turn to trust, Put place your trust in him, and he will relent when you have a change of mind and a change of heart about who Jesus is and what he has done. And that's hard. Just as the king of Nineveh had to do hard things as a Christian, we still have to do hard things. But it's the Holy Spirit and God's power which enables us to do that. So Let me ask you a few questions, Soldier Community Church. What's, what's the but I that is in the way in your life? What's the thing you know that God is, is calling you to the hard thing, the, the gritty thing that the Lord is calling you to, that the Lord is searching your heart in. Would you give him that but eye and submit it to him and say, Lord, you are Lord, and I am a man or a woman? Have your way with? Me. Do you believe that so that salvation belongs to the Lord? Do you believe that it is God who softens hearts and who draws people to him? And if so, will you in desperation cry out to him on other people's behalf and just be faithful with the message of the gospel? Don't depend upon your own intellect or eloquence. Trust the God of the Bible that when his word goes forth, it will not come back void. Are you preaching a message of grace that says when you sinner repent God will relent and do you believe that God is able to go to the guttermost to save to the uttermost like Jonah we we all are broken but God uses broken people the story is told of a of a man who was a worker and his job every day was to to water and to take care of a garden and plants. And he had two buckets. One bucket was was perfect. He would fill it up every morning. The other bucket had a hole in it. And every day he would walk the same path and go uh, to his, his employer's house and water the plants. One day the bucket talked to the man and said, why do you use me and I have this hole in me. And every day we walk this path, and, and this bucket is perfect. Why not just get another bucket? And the man retraced his steps and said, Look, every day when we take this path, you are watering the flowers on the side of this field. I am using your brokenness, your hold to bring life. It's the same way today as Christ ambassadors. We all have but eyes. We all have brokenness, but God is using broken people to bring life to a dying world. And may we be like Jonah in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our but eyes, as God reveals that to us and spits us back up, may we be faithful and we may not be perfect in our faithfulness, but may we be faithful knowing that we serve a perfect God who is watering the people and the relationships that surround us, even in our imperfection. And every Sunday, we're reminded by God's faithfulness when we take communion. The night when Jesus was betrayed, gave thanks, and broke bread, said, this is my body broken for you. The same way he took a cup and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood shed for you as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup. Christian, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Here at Sojourner, we take a piece of bread and we dip it in wine or juice the wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. God used Christ's brokenness to make us whole, and God uses our brokenness to make other people whole, as we are faithful with this good news and this gospel message. Just a second, we're going to take this meal. If you're not a Christian, we're going to ask you to refrain from this meal. If you are a Christian, we're going to ask you to to come and taste and remember God's goodness and remember the commission he's given you to tell a dying world about a living Savior. Those of you in the front half of the room, come to the front. Those in the back half of the room, you can go to the back. Gluten-free communion is over to my left. Let's pray.